you tonight. Thank you for coming out and being here. Let me invite you to take your Bibles, please, if you wouldn't go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, the 11th chapter tonight. And uh, thank the Lord for uh, the Elwerts. And uh, I'm sure they're a help and a blessing to you. And uh, had some fun with having uh, Pastor Elwert in class a week or two ago. Uh, it's always good to, to have uh, some interaction with him and uh, and uh, glad we can be here tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, ten weeks ago, uh, March 27th, uh, my uh, wife and I, uh, my parents rent a condo down in Florida, so we were down in Florida on vacation. Uh, my oldest son and his wife and my third son were with us, and then the rest of the the crew from my sisters and families. The one uh, we have one son that lives out in, on the west coast, so he wasn't there. But our youngest son had stayed home because he was supposed to leave on his senior trip uh, ten weeks ago today, and uh, he uh, was stayed stayed with uh, our cousin, uh, his cousin, uh, and uh, my sister, my wife's brother's family. And then uh, that night was coming back to the house and uh, was involved in an accident. So about one o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. Uh, down in Florida from Detroit Receiving Hospital uh, telling me that he had been hit by a semi on I-75. He had stopped to help a stranded motorist. uh, As We found out a lot since then, but uh, she was a lady who was drunk and had driven the front right tire off of her car and driven through the tire through the rim and was down basically to the rotor. So as she was going down I-75, she was sending sparks all over the place. So Derek pulled off the road. Her car was in the right-hand lane at I-75 just south of Mac. And he pulled off the road, came up to the passenger side to see if she was okay. And she wasn't responding, so he came around the car to the driver's side. Well, a, a semi was coming down I-75, came under the overpass, saw him standing next to the car. So he swerved, but he didn't obviously swerve enough. So he caught him with, you know, the sleeper cab comes out, uh, caught him with that part of the truck. And the state trooper said from the place he got hit to the place he ended up was about 115 feet. So if you're at the goal line, out to almost the 40-yard line is how far his body flew after he got hit. So he, he got hit hard uh, and was injured pretty badly. When they called me from the hospital, they, they, they told me he got hit by the truck. Uh, they thought he had been trying to cross I-75 because he was, uh, needless to say, wasn't communicating real clearly. Uh, fortunately, uh, thankfully, was able to give them my cell phone number. He was the one that told them that. Uh, then he went into surgery, and, and basically they told me he was in critical condition. So my wife and I uh, picked up tickets. I was actually supposed to come home in a couple of days anyway, so we just moved him up and uh, flew home. But that time between 1 o'clock... And 3 o'clock or so when he came out of surgery, uh, because I had heard what they had said, I wasn't sure he was going to make it. Uh, because, the, you know, basically the guy said to me, I said, he said he's going into surgery. I said, what's wrong? He's in critical condition. I said, can you tell me anything? He's in critical condition. That's all he said. So, and, and the call, it sounded like he was looking for next of kin. It wasn't really a happy phone call to get at 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and, and we found out over the course of, you know, the next few hours, I mean, he had 
done a lot of damage. Uh, seven broken ribs on this side, two on the other, clavicle, scapula, skull fracture, broken neck, vertebrae, uh, lacerated liver, punctured lung. I mean, it was, it was a lot of damage. But by 11.30 the next morning, we walk into the hospital room, and he's talking to us. Uh, Twelve days later, he's, you know, wheelchair to the curb, gets out of the wheelchair, walks into the car, walks into our house. Ten weeks later, this morning, we just got done with the doctor's appointment in which they took the neck brace off from him. And, and everything, uh, everything looks to be healing and will heal. There's no permanent damage other than he's got part of an eyebrow that's a little bit gone because his face, uh, his face took a beating on the, on the pavement. But, but really uh, amazing. I mean, just, you know, when I think about what I, what I heard, what I saw, and, and now what I see, it's just, you know, all you can do is just say amazing. I mean, it's just amazing grace that God protected his life and protected him from further injury. It, it, it's just uh, hard to believe. You could get hit by a semi going 55 miles an hour. The police report says an 80,000-pound truck at 55 miles an hour, and and uh, just be walking back into life as he is now, with some limitations because he's still healing, but. But really, just an, uh, an incredible display of God's kindness to our family in protecting him, uh, to him in protecting him from permanent injuries, to us protecting him from death. I mean, I certainly think it's mercy that he didn't die, but I, I have a hard time thinking uh, that it wouldn't be better to go be with the Lord because he knows Christ. So if he had gone from the pavement of I 75 into the presence of Jesus Christ, I would hate to think. Uh, that uh, I mean, I can't think biblically, and I wouldn't think practically that that would have been a disappointment to him. I mean, we would have been disappointed. I mean, he just last Friday night graduated from high school, so he was you know eight weeks, nine weeks from graduating from high school. All the stuff connected to that, we'd look and say, "Boy, he missed out on all those things." But but to go from from here to heaven isn't really missing out on anything. You know, we've just become so attached to this world that we think that way. But it was mercy and kindness to us because we would have been left with the loss of our son. We would have experienced all of that. And, and so we praise and thank God. But, but here's the reality. It doesn't always work out that way. Okay, there's a family in the church I pastor who uh, 23 years or so ago was on way to school in the morning Mom driving in with a kindergarten age son, car accident, that boy died. And, and I hope none of us would think God was kind to us and unkind to them. I mean, we, we recognize that there's no unkindness in God if we don't have the amazing, almost miraculous protection. Yet sometimes that's the way we talk, is if you really are close to the Lord, if you believe the Lord, then, then you'll see these kinds of incredible things happen. And if, if people 
have something else happen, there's sort of a silent, ah, I wonder what went wrong there. And, and that's a, uh, I would suggest, is a completely unbiblical frame of reference to look at things. And I want us to see that in the Word of God tonight. So look, if you would, Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to read near the end of the chapter because the uh, front part of the chapter probably is more familiar to us than the end. But I think the end is very important. So look, if you would, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and I'll begin reading in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy." wandering in deserts and in mount, and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now, this, this passage, I think, helps us understand that, that uh, the life of faith does not guarantee a certain uh, temporal outcome. Okay, if you look at verses 32 to 35, I think we can say in sort of a summary of those verses that faith does enable spiritual victories, both great and small. I mean, some of these examples here involve miraculous things. Look at the beginning of verse 34. They quenched the power of fire, probably a reference to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? They walked in the fiery furnace and, and they survived it. Beginning of verse 35, women received their dead back by resurrection. So that's clearly miraculous. It's something that happened that was only explainable because of the miraculous power of God. And it's by faith that these things happen. But then many of these things also would fit into a category that we would say is different than a pure miracle, if I could put it that way. There, there might have been a providential uh, aspect to it, a, a secondary causation. All right? For instance, in verse 33, conquered kingdoms. I mean, you look through the Old Testament, some of that conquering a kingdom was, was a fight that involved warriors going out to battle with people, and there were warriors who died in the battle. I mean, they, they fought, and, and there were normal kinds of warfare issues Yet it was said that it was done by faith. They performed acts of righteousness. They, uh, they were mighty in war. They escaped the edge of the sword. That might have been miraculous, but it also might have been providential, I guess, in, in the way that we talk about it. Some of these things could be, it, some of the statements could actually be both, because we can think of Old Testament examples. For instance, shut the mouths of lions. Can you think of a, a miraculous occasion of that? 
Daniel in the lion's den. Yet, you can think of another one that probably wouldn't fit in the category of miraculous. David guarding the sheep, and he says, God delivered the lion into my hand, but, but it doesn't sound like it was a miracle. It was David took his sword and killed it. Uh, that, that it was the kind of thing that we wouldn't have expected, like, like Daniel in the lion's den, and God miraculously keeps them from eating him. So it could have been either of those. Uh, it could have been uh, putting armies to the flight. It could have been something miraculous like the Midianites, right? Where where you have uh, Gideon and and the 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 uh, event where he breaks the pitcher and sounds the trumpet, and they all begin to panic and kill each other. God does this this work through there. You know, I should say in, a, in more of a normal way, even though it precipitated chaos, that's different than when God wiped out the Assyrians by sending the death angel through, right? I mean, all of a sudden they wake up in the morning and there's thousands of them dead because God came through and just killed them in the nighttime. So, so it could be miraculous, could be providential, could be hard for us to tell sometimes, but faith produced those kinds of victories. This text tells us that, and that's usually what we talk about. Okay, Sunday school stories are not about the guy who got tortured to death, usually. They're about the person who won. They're about the great victory. Yet this passage makes it clear that faith does not always guarantee a miraculous and divine deliverance to them. And Probably the, the, the force of this is clear to us. If you look at verse 36, it says, in 35 it says, and others. And in verse 36, and others. Clearly making a distinction between the ones that we've just talked about, these victories, and this kind of a situation. And, and perhaps what really captures the, the, the balance here, in verse 34, the second phrase of verse 34, the first one is, quench the power of fire, then it says, escape the edge of the sword. And if you drop down to verse 37, it says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. So the writer of Hebrews deliberately balances off these two issues. On one hand, were people who by faith escaped the edge of the sword. On the other hand, there were people who by faith were put to death by the sword. That, that you had both outcomes. That, that there was the possibility that somebody following, following Christ could in fact uh, not have the, and I'm going to put it in quotes, the victorious outcome. And, and it doesn't change their standing in relationship to faith. Because remember, look at beginning of verse 33, who by faith so it says, who by faith, and then it says, and others, meaning by faith. And then if you look at the clear statement of it, down in verse 39, it says, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So the text is very clear that both those who had victory, if I could put it that way, and defeat, did so by faith. They lived through faith. They gained approval before God. 
And, and let's, let's just let's put it into a, a biblical example, all right? Escape the sword, died by the sword. Book of Acts. You come to Acts chapter 12, and here's James the Apostle is arrested by Herod. And what does Herod do to him? He kills him, beheads him. He dies by the sword. Herod sees what a great thing that is in terms of popularity, so he goes out and he arrests Peter. And Peter's in prison waiting for the same thing to happen to him, and God sends an angel and opens up the doors to the jail and the city, and, and Peter walks out. Okay, so what should we conclude there? Should we conclude that Peter had faith and James didn't? Not at all. Should we conclude that Peter was better than James? That Peter, Peter was more important to God, therefore God let Peter out, but James, you know, he was, he, you know, it was always Peter, James, and John. So, I mean, Peter's obviously number one, James is number two, so that's why this happened. You know, we have, we have no indication of that biblically. Here's, here's what I think we're supposed to conclude. The life of faith might produce deliverance. It might result in death. If you, if you trust God, it doesn't guarantee that you won't end up like these folks here in this particular passage that were, were beaten, tortured, uh, sawn in two, died by the sword, were destitute. But, but if, we, if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes we have a view of the Christian life that is a kind of uh, more tame prosperity theology. You know what the prosperity theology is? I mean, you can see it on TV. The person who says, you know, if you believe God, you'll be healthy, you'll, you'll have your money needs met, you, you know, everything will be your best life now. I mean, everything will be great. You know, if you, if you have faith, you can live on the victory side of everything. And, and, and we look at the people on TV and we say, that's wrong. Because you're promising something from God that God hasn't promised. And we're right to criticize them. Yet sometimes in the way we live and think, the minute somebody encounters the stuff in verse 35 and following, we think, well, they must not be trusting God, or there must be some kind of problem, or there's, you know, if we, if we really believe God, that person's going to get healed. Because faith always gives us victories. And so if we really believe God, then no one's going to die by the sword. But here's the Word of God telling us that people, people could have faith and die. People can have faith and, and see their 18-year-old son walk out of a hospital on his own power 12 days after getting hit by a semi. And people can have faith and have to attend the funeral of their 5-year-old. I mean, that, that's actually the world we live in. It's a sin-cursed world. And, and in a sin-cursed world, we, we don't have faith given to us as a bulletproof vest. 
that if we just sort of believe, nothing bad will happen to us. And we can overcome every problem in a sin-cursed world. That's not what the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is intended to teach us. But yet sometimes that's the way we treat it. And, and what we need to understand is the context of this book of Hebrews. What, what, uh, why is the writer of Hebrews saying what he's saying? Because there are Jewish people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ and now it is costing them something. Okay, chapter 10 says that they had had their property taken from them because of their testimony of faith. There were some of them who had been imprisoned, chapter 12 will say, chapter 13 will say. So, so here they are facing a trial of their faith. Will they stick with Jesus Christ even if it means suffering and persecution? And, and here, here the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, your faith, your faith can enable you to have approval with God whether you escape the sword or die by the sword. Because approval with God is, is the issue. Ultimately, being accepted by God is on the basis of faith, and, and that faith is, is crucial to what's going on here. Which means, really, that, and it's important for us to see it, that the core of faith is not focused on temporal deliverance but on God and His promise of redemption. That's what I think verses 39 and 40 are pushing us to, right? And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, but God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. And, and again, inside the context of the book, that's referring to the coming of Christ, that something better is the ministry of Christ, the promises of Christ. And, and that's been alluded to in the book. Like if you go back in your chapter 11, go back to verses 15 and 16. Actually, go 14 through 16 because you see the window with regard to Abraham and the patriarchs. For those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country uh, of their own. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is... They desire a country, a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Jump over to chapter 13. Let me show you what, what's connected to this, this point that the writer of Hebrews is making. Chapter 13 and verse 14. For we here, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. So, so what was the faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? Okay, his faith ultimately is in God and what God has promised to us. And the focus of God's promise was in the Messiah who had come and the promise of redemption. So, so unless there was a very specific promise by God to somebody that he would do it. Okay, and there were sometimes. I mean, Jericho, they were told, you know, go march around the city, blow the trumpet, the walls will come down. So God said it. They believed it. It happened. Okay, that's, that's, I'm not trying to minimize that at all. But, you know, when I got a phone call at 1 o'clock in the morning and began to talk to the Lord about what was going on, I had no verse of Scripture that said, 
Dave, Derek will be okay. I had no promise like that. I did have a certainty that because Derek had trusted in Jesus Christ, that if he did not survive this accident, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so I could trust God. I also knew that because Derek had trusted God, that God's plan for Derek was good. Okay, because God's in control. Because here's what I believe. I mean, you know, there's, there's no doubt God protected my son. But, but here's what I believe, and I think you do too. God could have stopped that truck from hitting him at all. I mean, it wasn't like God was in heaven having a staff meeting and all of a sudden someone said, hey, there's a truck going on I-75 that's going to hit Derek Dorn. Somebody better do something quick. I mean, we don't think that's what God's doing, do we? I mean, He's in control of it. He knew, he knew before the foundation of the world what was going to happen. So, so God intended to protect my son, but not to the point that he wouldn't be hit. So God had something that Derek and his family and people around him needed to learn and to do. Because he protected him, but he didn't protect him to the degree that he just moved that truck over another lane and it went right past him. He protected him enough that that truck moved enough so it was a glancing blow of an 80,000 pound truck at 55 miles an hour, but a glancing blow that didn't take his life, a glancing blow that didn't leave him with permanent disability in some way. And so I could think in the middle of the night down in Florida, whatever has happened, it is not without purpose. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So it was, it was not without purpose. God had a point for it. There was some reason I might not ever understand all the reasons, but it doesn't really matter because I'm not God. I know God knows. So, so there's a point and a purpose to it. And I also know that it's not permanent. Because even if, let's say, my son had been left with a physical limitation for the rest of his life. He's 18. Let's say he lives to three score and ten, so 70 years old. That's you know, 52 years. He dies, he's going to spend eternity with Christ. So, so those 52 years are like that in light of eternity. And his faith, when he trusted in Christ, my faith when I trusted in Christ was not, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to become my bulletproof vest for the rest of my life so nothing bad can happen to me. So nothing bad can happen to the people around me. It was that I recognized that I was a sinner who stood under the condemnation of God, and unless I acknowledged that and trusted in the only remedy, Jesus Christ, that I would be lost. And if I trusted in Christ, I now was redeemed, and God became my Father, and I could trust Him. If I could trust Him to save me, I can trust Him to lead me, as we sang. I can, I can trust Him 
if I'm in, in a scenario where it means you don't escape the sword, I can trust Him just as much as if I'm in a scenario where it means you escape the sword. Because if God's plan for James was to glorify Jesus Christ through martyrdom, that's a good plan. It's not probably the plan we'd pick. But we're servants, not masters. And if the master says, here's how I want you to glorify me, it is through martyrdom, then we follow Christ because we didn't sign on to follow Christ because it guaranteed we would never be martyrs. It guaranteed that if we're martyrs, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That there is no permanent and purposeless tragedy in our lives. They're all bounded by eternity. He's preparing for us a city that lasts. Here we have no city that lasts. You know, we we sometimes quote the Jim Elliott quote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And, And yet, at times we live as if if we lose something in this world, it's, a, it's an ultimate and devastating loss. We, we say we believe the gospel, yet we work so hard to make certain that we don't go to be with Jesus. We think, we think if, if, somebody, I mean, if somebody's life ends earlier than we think, and we keep pushing that later and later, you know, we hear about somebody who dies in their mid-70s and they go, oh, they were so young. It's because we keep thinking, you know, we ought to live forever. And the fact is, if we know Christ, we will. But unless He comes back, it's not going to be live forever here right now. It's going to be, we're going to go to be with Christ, which is far better. And our faith is focused on that. We're sure that Jesus will keep His promise to us So we can be certain that whatever happens in our life has a purpose and and in this life it is not permanent. God has given us the victory through Christ and we can can follow Him in it. So, So we need to, I think, continually step back from the way we handle life. And we need to say, Lord, my life is Yours. I've been bought with a price. I have believed your promise that you you have good for me and I'm going to trust you so that we can have the kind of faith that takes to stand in these kinds of situations. Because you remember what Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said? You familiar with Daniel 3? Nebuchadnezzar says, who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? And, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego say, you know, here's here's... Our answer to you, Nicodemus, Nebuchadnezzar. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if not, we will not bow down. So, so they said, God can do this. But even if He doesn't do it, we still will not betray Him. Okay, we, we did not... We did not pledge our allegiance to God as fire insurance. We pledged our allegiance to God because He's the true and living God. And I hope tonight that you have a faith in Jesus Christ that doesn't treat Him like your servant, 
but you recognize that you're His. He's bought you. And, and, and sadly, probably over the course of the history of this church, there have been people who have sat in these pews, who professed faith in Jesus Christ, but then something happened in their life that would be described as not escaping the sword. Someone got cancer that they cared about, and they died. They asked God to heal that person, and they died. And they say, if that's the way God is, I'm not going to serve. Or they had some tragedy happen in their lives. They had something go wrong. And, and they say, if that's the way it is for following God, then I'm not going to follow Him. And, and you know what they're saying at that point? They're saying not really that they wanted God. They wanted what God would give them. And God didn't give them what they wanted, so they turned their back on God. And it showed that they actually didn't have faith in the first place. Because faith was, our lives are temporary. We're not living for this because here we do not have a lasting city. We're seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. We're seeking a city that that has foundations. And if God, on the way to that city, wants to send us through martyrdom, let the name of Jesus Christ be praised. If He decides to move on our behalf in a way that rescues us from that, He he wants to glorify Himself through deliverance, then praise His name. Because real faith can handle both death and deliverance. And sometimes our faith has become has become uh, weak so that it thinks only deliverance glorifies God. But God is glorified in both if we demonstrate that He matters more to us than life itself. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Lord, thank You so much for the promises of Your Word on which we can rely completely. And thank You for how You do meet our needs day by day and You promise to supply for them but ultimately that You have met our greatest need in Jesus Christ, that we can live in this world not having to be controlled by uh, the things of this world because we have a Father who knows us and cares for us and has promised good to us. And so help us tonight to be stronger in faith. I certainly pray that uh, everyone here actually genuinely knows Jesus Christ and has trusted Him. And I pray that you might help us to be good testimonies of the faith that is real and founded on your promises and your word and focused on Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.